Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Hi again, listeners. I am so glad that you are here with me today to learn all about Sfoof, the recipe contributed by today's guest, Amal of Habibi What's Cooking. Now, Sfoof is a gorgeous golden Lebanese cake that's very easy and quick to make. And in Lebanon, Amal and her family actually never made Sfoof. They could just buy it from the famous Lebanese bakeries, which I've heard about in other episodes. Um, and there in those bakeries, Sfoof is made daily. However, when Amal was a child, the prime minister was assassinated, and her family immediately understood that the fortunes of Lebanon had been reversed and that it would not be the same country for a very long time. In fact, within weeks, Amal and her family, who were also U.S. citizens, were evacuated away from their beautiful home on the coast of Lebanon to the northeastern U.S., so now, Sfouf represents to Amal the extra effort that they have to go to to preserve their culture and to live here in the U.S. as ambassadors to America from Lebanon. And in today's episode, we, we wander a little bit in the best way. Amal talks about her years in Lebanon. She talks a lot about the current situation there. She talks about how art was her dream as a child and how now she has turned to art and baking, put them together, and they are helping her through some of the toughest times of her life. We do talk a lot more about cooking in Lebanon beyond just spoof. In particular, I love that famous Lebanese chicken, and she talks about how to achieve those flavors. And uh, she even does have a recipe on her blog for famous Lebanese chicken, and I have linked to that there in the show notes. She also shares very freely about things like wearing the hijab and just a lot of other topics. So I am thrilled to welcome Amal to the podcast, and I'm thrilled especially, too, that you are here here today. Thank you so much. Hello. Hi, Becky. Hey, Amal, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Have you been waiting? No, not a lot. <laughs> oh, good. I, um, I, I'm releasing an episode this week with, um, it's an anonymous episode. It's very sensitive. And, uh, I, it, it's a long story. I was reaching to, out to someone else um, from the same country because um, she was recommending that I cut like a lot more parts of it to protect the family of the person I'm interviewing. And so that conversation just went long. So I apologize. No problem. It's fine. Good. Are you over at your studio? Yes, I'm in my studio. Oh, good, good, good. I didn't know you had one. It's apart from your home. Um, so this is like an art studio, um, a work studio. Yeah, um, I live with my parents in uh, mm -hmm. Rhode Island. And um, my studio is in Newport, Rhode Island. So it's like a 15 minute ride. Mm, I and, see. Uh, it's a little kind of like office space attached to my dad's uh, convenience store. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's part of his building and I kind of just moved myself in. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you took over. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> this is what we do as kids. <laughs> At least if we have healthy relationships with our parents who support us. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Okay. So can we, can we jump in? Yes, of course. 
Okay. So you grew up in Lebanon. Uh, tell us where and every, everything about it. <laughs> so um, first I was born here in the United States, mm. um, in Massachusetts. Um, my, my dad, he immigrated here from Lebanon um, during the war. Mm. And um, then later in um 1995 he married my mom and um, she moved here and I was born here um, Mm -hmm. in the U.S. and I lived here for um, we lived here for around four to five years I think Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. in 2000 is when we moved to Lebanon Um, basically the start of my life was here um, in the U.S. and I went to preschool here mm. and um, I grew up speaking English first. I didn't mm. know Arabic. Um, and then we moved uh, to Lebanon during the recession. Um, my parents wanted and they wanted to go back to Lebanon. Um, my mom was homesick and um, they just kind of wanted an, a different experience. Mm. Um, so they really want to move back to their country mm. and we just moved to Lebanon. Um, we went back to their hometown um, mm-hmm. called Saida or Saidun is mm-hmm. uh, what's on the map. And it's a very, um, can, it's, a, it's like an Asian uh, city. It's mm-hmm. like one of the oldest cities in, in life. <laughs> wow. It, it's either the second or the third. I know um, in Lebanon, um, the city Biblos is, I think, the, the oldest city in life. Mm. um yeah and uh we lived there until 2007 um I went there I went to a school there that had an Islamic curriculum Mm -hmm. and um I I was brought up um in a Muslim family and um kind of like with the Lebanese culture Mm -hmm. uh we lived in a house that my parents um built when they they first got engaged Mm -hmm. and oh from my um my grandparents house mm. yeah it's, okay. it's a, at the time it was, was a very nice um villa it's like on a mountaintop overlooking um the ocean and you could see the the mountain mm. next to it um now it's uh, the area is a little bit crowded and it's kind of like claustrophobic there <laughs> you can't really see the ocean views that much anymore I see. I see. Okay. So can I go back and ask a couple questions to fill in, fill in some, some questions there. So you're, you said your dad left, um, during the war, which war was this? Um, so during the 1970s in Lebanon, um, there was a civil war Mm. and then there was a war between, um, the Palestinians who had to immigrate to Lebanon and the Israelis. Um, mm-hmm. And that war happened. Um, it was basically like the country of Lebanon against um, Israel, and they were fighting both the Lebanese people and um, the the Palestinian resistance group. And it was a very kind of um, messed up situation. Mm. Um, but my dad's eldest brother, he first immigrated um, to the United States, kind of um, escaping that war because he was wanted. And um, then slowly, um, my grandparents, they, they kind of moved their kids here to the U.S. I see. I see. I see. He was wanted for, um, by, by 
by which by which side? Uh, the Israelis. Okay. Yeah, okay. my my uncle because he was um, I mean he was defending his land, <laughs> mm. and um, of course they consider him as a threat. So um, mm-hmm. with like other um, with other people, um, he was wanted, um, but, mm-hmm. but he was able to escape. I see. I see. Okay. And then you said you moved back during the recession. Are you talking about a U.S. recession that made them want to move back to Lebanon or there was like a recession happening in Lebanon and they wanted to go help with that situation? Were they escaping or going to aid, Uh, I guess? I think um, there was a recession here in the U.S. Mm, in the mm -hmm. 2000s. And Mm -hmm. uh, my parents, they weren't escaping the recession. um, Mm. I think they just... um, with all that was going on and yeah. uh, they um, they felt like they they wanted to go back home. Mm. Um, so they just um, closed everything here and um, went back to Lebanon. Uh, I to see. Start a new life. I see. I see. Okay. And then, um, sorry, I'm just typing them one more, one more follow-up question. Um, so let's see. So then you grew up in Sidon, Lebanon, and I just went ahead and did a really quick Google while you were talking about, <laughs> about it. And, um, I see a lot of these ancient images. So it sounds like, yes, from what you said later, this is, um, on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean. Yes. Mm, okay, so can you describe a little bit about the climate, what grows there, um, what you what you remember, just seeing, hearing, smelling in your childhood there? Uh, yeah, um, Lebanon's a very um, kind of Mediterranean um, area, and it's mm-hmm. very um, famous in the Arab world for um, having like four seasons in one place. Like you can go up to the mountains and then go um, to the coastline in like two hours and experience kind of like spring and mm-hmm. winter at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was um, that kind of um, life there. Um, mm-hmm. During the summer, it's very hot. And um, and w- when we didn't have school, I would spend most of my time um, in our house's garden. Um, we had a garden that surrounded the house and mm. it was um, full of like different um, tropical uh, trees. Um, the the one I remember the most is the lemon tree and mm. it was a huge tree, gigantic tree that kind of uh, went all the way to like the that reached the third floor of the house. Wow. um, Full of lemons. And it was just my favorite tree because it provided the shade. And um, with my siblings and um, the the neighbor's kids, um, we spend a lot of time just um, making up stories and Mm. dances and just playing out um, in the garden. it's the the climate there is very different from here here in the u.s it rains sometimes <laughs> in the summer over there um no they don't know something like that so mm. we would spend most of our time um during the summer um outside just uh just kind of like uh, enjoying a creative childhood um i didn't grow up with internet um we we just didn't uh know what it is um, mm-hmm. so when I came back to the U.S., um, it was kind of a, a culture shock. That internet was very, um, 
embedded mm-hmm. in people's mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember spending a lot of, during the weekends, my dad, he would take us um, out somewhere new. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved going um, out somewhere where we didn't pre-plan it. Um, he would tell us we're getting in the car and it's just going to take us somewhere. Wow. <laughs> but we, we stayed uh, in Lebanon during that time. We never um, tra- came back to the U.S. or traveled to a different mm-hmm. country. Um, so when I was young, in my mind, I, I thought in the entire world, there's only two countries the U.S. and Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So do you feel like you got to see a, a large um, cross-section of Lebanon? Do you feel like you got to see a lot of different places there because of those weekend adventures, or did you mostly stay local? Uh, yes, I think we got to see, from what I remember, um, we got mm. to see a lot of um, nice places that I still, um, that's still like embedded in my memory now. Um, we went a lot to the, to the mountains and um, we'd go to the mountains where there is snow. Um, and uh, it, as a child, I remember um, Lebanon was just um, very beautiful and family oriented. Mm. And uh, uh, we wouldn't go out without um, my grandma, my mom's mom. Mm. Uh, she's a very kind of lively person and mm. she wants to go out and she'd make um, all these outings very fun. And uh, anywhere we'd go out was always like um, an outdoor area. Mm. Uh, I remember like... Um, rarely was it like an indoor area if it was kind of like indoors it was a water park oh wow okay <laughs> amazing and when you i know <laughs> when we travel around here in the us well when we travel anywhere with our kids to be honest with you they're not super interested in learning about the history they just want to you know throw throw rocks into the water or <laughs> cl- climb up big rocks or <laughs> rocks so rocks and water are a big theme in all of our travels um did you like you said it's a super super ancient place i'm reading a little bit about it on wikipedia here um did you learn anything about the history that you were surrounded by or was it just something that was there and you took it for granted as a child because you didn't realize how amazing it was to be in a truly prehistoric place um yes just like you said i didn't realize that um it's a very historic historically rich area Mm. and um during my last visit to Lebanon, I recognized that and I'd really take the time to look and take pictures and ask questions and um, kind of do some research um, after I visited the area. Um, there's so many um, little palaces and um, kind of like mountains that belong to like um, princes and it was um, Lebanon had a very big um, history with the Ottoman Empire, and it really shows there in the architecture and um, kind of um, the land. And Lebanon has, was affected by colonial the when mm-hmm. France colonized it. Um, so you, you can now that I know you can really see it. Um, but when I when I was a child, of course, I didn't um, mm-hmm. recognize those things and. Um, the weird thing was um, in school um, when they were 
first teaching us about history. Mm -hmm. um, they started with Asian Egyptian history. They didn't even teach us our own history. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I always thought that was weird. Um, I don't mm -hmm. understand why they wouldn't um, teach us our own history when it was so rich. Mm. Well, this is uh, this does actually lead me into another question that I had. Um, just trying to again go back and um, and understand even the short introduction that you gave us into your life. So you said that you went to a school with a Muslim curriculum. Um, was that a public school because it's a it's a um, Muslim dominant country that was just kind of embedded into the curriculum, or was it a private school? Uh, for Muslim students, actually, even as I say that, Lebanon is is maybe I'm wrong. Lebanon is actually one of the few countries in the Middle East that's predominantly Christian. Or am I wrong on that? Um, no, I think in Lebanon um, there is a mix of um, a lot of um, religions and like sub religions. Uh, mm -hmm. Lebanon is known for that, and we do have. Um, Christian groups and uh, Muslim groups and in, in a tiny country, it's created um, a lot of conflict over the years. Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, religions. And um, I went to a private school, um, public school, there is not really uh, recommended. It's not somewhere you mm -hmm. would want to send your child to study. Mm -hmm. uh, but the school I went to was, um, I think because my mom went to that school Mm -hmm. And um, it was one of the um, the top in the inside that, and um, it provided um, kind of a, a lot of opportunities uh, for students. Like a lot of um, good students um, graduated um, from there. Uh, so my my parents um, they just sent me there, and they they had um, it was like a regular school, but they added um, some like Islamic courses, I think like a Catholic school here, mm. like you're going to learn um, history, geography, math, science. In, um, it, they had English and French and Arabic, and they had um, like how to learn the Quran, which is similar mm. to the Bible, mm -hmm. and um, how to learn um, just the rules of the religion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, like you said, very similar to a Catholic school or even, you know, an evangelical school or something like that here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, they they had um, like Friday and Sunday was off mm -hmm. um, because Friday is when um, our day to go to prayer. Uh, mm -hmm. So that day was off and we went on Saturday to school. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it, it was... Um, for me, I, I feel um, grateful for that experience. Um, I, I don't say it was the, the happiest um, time of my life in, in school mm -hmm. over there, but there are um, positives and uh, challenges to that time. Mm, tell, tell me more about that. Was it hard because you had been born in the U.S.? Were you kind of a little, a little bit American, a little bit Lebanese, or were the troubles different? Yeah, um, I think when I first started school, um, I didn't know Arabic. Um, so I remember struggling um, with that, struggling kind of um, to fit in uh, with this culture because um, I knew I was uh, Lebanese, but I didn't act like it or speak like it or uh, do anything um, like a Lebanese person. So it was, um, it took time to kind of adjust into that culture 
Mm -hmm. um, and Lebanon is a very um, body image, social standard kind of um, culture. Um, so it took time to kind of um, fit in and try to find uh, friends. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up kind of like with a bigger body and uh, with hair. So um, it, it kind of um, took kind of a toll on my confidence um, to learn how to be like accepted with the friends and um, teachers and just kind of the, the society there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something now um, that I kind of unlearn uh, with my therapist and kind of um, deal with. But I do think the challenge was that it, um, the social standards there um, took a toll on my confidence and mm -hmm. um, just kind of that experience of um, having to move back here mm -hmm. um, so quickly um, because we moved back during a war. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I felt like just when I was, I was um, getting to meet friends and kind of having um, my group where I felt safe, we had to come out of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the friends I had um, during that time there, they were actually Americans like me. Um, mm -hmm. They were American Lebanese. Um, so we kind of fit, we clicked together. This is interesting. Hmm. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you, you said it took a little while to figure out how to fit in. And I was going to ask you, what did you find was the secret? And uh, it, it was just, it was finding other people with you, like you, with that same um, mixed, mixed upbringing. Yeah, um, because it's, um, it, it's kind of uh, rare to find um, mixed backgrounds in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Hmm. How about who you lived with? You mentioned your mom's mom it was just like a cheerful, fun presence. Did you live with her? Um, my my mom's parents they lived right across of us mm -hmm. um, they lived in our their own house mm -hmm. um, and the the two villas were just like facing each other um, so if we're in our kitchen and my grandma she's in her second floor mm. you can basically see each other from the window um, wow. that's how close it was um, so it's just like two steps away kind of it's not wow. like houses are touching each other but like mm -hmm. facing each other mm -hmm. um and she she's just uh, we share actually I share the same um first name and last name as my grandmother um, oh on purpose did your parents name you after her yeah um oh. my dad is her nephew um my parents are cousins oh okay uh so my dad and my uh, mom's mom share the same last name. Mm. And um, she, her name's Amal. So he named me Amal so I can be Amal Shamsuddin after her. Wow. Wow. John's aunt has an, uh, John's, yeah, John's aunt's name. John has an aunt named um, Amal. Uh, do you know what the name means in Arabic? Yeah. Um, it means a lot of hope. Oh, yeah. oh that's beautiful. Um, who, well, let's talk about, maybe this is a good time to talk about Safouf. Is that how you pronounce it? Safouf? Safouf, yeah. Sp say it one more time. Safouf. 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 Yeah. 
Okay. You put the S and F together a little bit more than I was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Why did you choose this? What does this remind you of from your childhood or who does this remind you of, or what events does it remind you of? Um, so Swoof, um, it just reminds me of, um, being here in the U S and kind of, um, it represents our effort of uh, making Lebanese um, desserts here at home and kind of just bringing that experience or um, the things that we really liked in Lebanon here. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something that my mom uh, makes sometimes for her friends here and, um, and just brings it to them and they really like it. Uh, mm-hmm. So is like a tea cake. Um, you can have it either like with tea or uh, coffee and um, actually in Arabic means lines or rows. And I think it's referred to the way that it's, um, it's cut uh, because mm. it's cut in like rows mm. and it's cut into like diamond shapes. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, like that, um, that kind of like pineapple, like the pineapple buns. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. actually also, yeah. So in Lebanon, you would actually find it in uh, baklava shops um, mm. where they would sell baklava. Mm-hmm. And I don't think um, people make it there in Lebanon at home. Mm. Did uh, You never made it at home in Lebanon. You only bought it in the shops. I don't remember um, my mom ever making it at home. Mm. Um, I, I think in Le- if you're in Lebanon, you would just go to that place and just um, buy mm-hmm. as much as you'd like. But mm-hmm. here in the U.S., you can't go anywhere to buy it. Um, everything has to be um, made at home. Mm-hmm. So for me, it represents kind of that 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 effort of like preserving what we love here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of that effort of like... Um, being forced to kind of um, learn how to cook and bake and um, just um, kind of preserving your culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. Making for yourself something that would be so easy to attain there. It makes you um, super appreciative of it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was going to ask you something about that. Uh, what was I going to ask you? Hmm. Oh, what was I going to ask you? I don't quite remember, but I'll ask this then. So if you bought it mostly, you know, you said it would be just next, right next to um, Baklava or something like that. What events would you buy it for just as a sweet treat to bring home? Or was it associated with certain holidays or special occasions? Um, I think you can buy it for um, as a treat for your house or when guests are over, um, you can uh, buy it for holidays. Mm. Um, I don't think it doesn't have a special occasion with it. Um, it's not like any kind of like the Ramadan uh, treats mm. or treats for Eid. Um, I think for me, it's just kind of like a simple uh, tea cake that you can mm. um, enjoy. I really like the color of it. And yes, um, I like the concept of it. It's a, a, a vegan uh, cake. It has um, some semolina flour. And um, I was um, thinking about like turmeric and uh, why I was kind of like looking up um, why it would be added to like cakes. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
because when you actually make it, you don't add a whole lot of it. It's like mm-hmm. just kind of like a tablespoon. Yeah. I think it's just to kind of like color it, give it that color. Mm-hmm. And I read um, that they would use like um, maybe in like culinary history, they would use um, turmeric as a cheaper, cheaper alternative to saffron. Well, yes, because <laughs> I can imagine because it gives you that beautiful, cheerful, sunshiny glow. Yeah. Um, like you said, without all the expense. So if you if you just bought this in a shop so easily in Lebanon, how in the world did your mom figure out how to make it? Um, I'm sure she uh, researched how to make it from like Lebanese um, chefs that do like uh, videos. <laughs> oh, uh, YouTube. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or, like, dug it out of... Um, maybe some website or, you know, ask someone, I'm not sure how she found it. Um, but yeah, that's how she eventually finds things. And just, mm-hmm. uh, we test things around and we have a lot of taste testers. <laughs> 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 they, they either approve it or disapprove. <laughs> they are in the U.S. where you live right now. You have a lot of taste testers. Yeah, like my uh, my cousin's house, my parent, my dad, my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's great. So um, just like you said, this was not really a big deal in Lebanon. You didn't kind of, um, it wasn't maybe so close to you until it was something that you lost and then you wanted to learn to make it and to recreate it. Was that true for you and your family for cooking in general, that in Lebanon, it was kind of just something you did to, um, you know, feed yourselves in the morning, noon and evening. But then when you came here, it became more of a production. It became more of um, like an act from the, from the heart. Is that true in general about cooking? Yeah, um, I think with a lot of um, Lebanese um, food and Lebanese uh, sweets that we make is just kind of um, making it here because it's not available and uh, we kind of miss it and uh, we kind of we want to preserve it and uh, share it with friends and um, we want to make it for them and tell them, look, this is what we make um, in our ho- in our home and. Um, it tastes wonderful. And Lebanese food is uh, well known. Mm -hmm. We kind of want to give, I feel like we cook and um, we make sweets to kind of um, represent our our country and Mm -hmm. and ourselves and um, just kind of to confirm to others that yes, Lebanese uh, food in uh, Lebanon has very good things. And Mm -hmm. one of them is food. So when you grew up in Lebanon, cooking wasn't necessarily, excuse me, a huge part of your life or your day or connecting to other people. That really happened when you came back to the U.S. Um, I think cooking, like home cooking, yes, it was mm. a big part of our um, our life. Um, mm. But baking, making sweets, no, at home, no, we didn't. It wasn't something mm-hmm. um, like we didn't mix foof and baklava and uh, ataif and like all these treats at home. You mm-hmm. just go to the shop and you buy it because it's just more convenient. And uh, they just, um, it feels like they just make it better over there. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. 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 Um, I do remember um, a lot of uh, barbecues at home um, 
and uh, my my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, during Eid, she would host um, the first meal at her house. Mm. Um, she would make this big um, platter of uh, chicken and meat with rice, and mm. uh, we would all go and head over to her house um, for the first day of Eid mm. uh, to like have a meal together. Um, that was a, a very big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, over there and it, it's one of like my core memories mm. mm-hmm. 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 Mm. yeah um sorry I was just about to ask you another question before you shared that and I'm so yeah. glad that you did I'm so glad that you did um it was one more question oh I know what I was going to ask <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned barbecues that they were popular you weren't making hamburgers and hot dogs at your barbecues in Lebanon um yeah. what did you make well first of all what was the cooking apparatus like that you barbecued on were they charcoal grills were they open um fire pits were they gas grills like we have for here and then what would you grill what would you barbecue uh, in Lebanon, um, charcoal grilling is most famous, and mm. it's on this. It's this big um, metal thing where mm. you like put charcoal in, and uh, we just uh, grill like kebabs and feel um, mm. like uh, shish tabuk, which is like a marinated um, chicken on the skewers, mm. um, meat on skewers, uh, kefta, which is like ground beef with uh, spices and parsley and onion and it's Mm -hmm. uh, made into like these uh, finger shape um we grill vegetables um there were hamburgers um Mm. and uh chicken wings but they were uh with like a lebanese marinade right Um, yeah as excited as i am about the spoof (laughs) i am a little bummed i didn't get a super authentic uh Lebanese marinade because the the meat you eat in Lebanese restaurants is incomparable to anywhere else. And I just can't recreate it at home. I just can't. Do you think part of it is the cooking method or do you think it's this, uh, this secret recipe for marinade? (laughs) I just can't get the meat so tender. Um, I think there's only like, um, one marinade we make at home for chicken and meat and so it's basically um lebanese uh seven spices uh salt lemon olive oil and uh garlic and then i think just uh leaving it over time and uh, just marinated it in olive oil makes it um tender but it's Mm. probably the kind of meat that they use and it's um like the, the young lamb meat mm. um, and uh, yes when we were in Lebanon um, my my grandfather recently I just went um, this summer to visit and uh, he made us barbecue and it did taste um, different the type of meat um, really kind of uh, affects the way the, the outcome <laughs> For sure for sure I you have taught me something I've never heard of Lebanese seven spice Really, <laughs> really, really. You do you and everything? <laughs> do you? So yeah. I um. Do you do you make your own or do you buy a particular brand? Uh, so we buy it in um in from Lebanon. Um, we buy it in like these um. Th- they like get the air out and um. Oh, uh, yeah. They um, yeah. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. seal it. 
mm-hmm. and we just buy it in like bulks and bring it here but you can find it online and um, can you what kind is it it just uh it looks brown and it's the mixture of the seven spices and um I found it uh, from a Lebanese, I think they have a Lebanese background, um, but there's a, a place online in Montreal. Um, oh. There's a lot of Lebanese people there and um, you can buy it online. I think it's called Spice Affair. Spice uh, Affair. Okay. I'm going to look that up. It's not the, um, I'm Googling right now. It's not the Ziad, Z-E-Y-A-D. It's not that kind. Um, yeah, that's a brand kind, and um, I didn't try theirs, but I okay. Spice Affair, and it's exactly like the one in Lebanon. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Not sponsored, everyone listening, <laughs> <laughs> but we will. I see it here, this tiny, let's see, this tiny 3.5 ounce. Yes, okay. $13. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. Okay. This is really good to know. Okay. Back to the spoof. spoof. Sorry. I keep putting a syllable, an extra syllable in there that I shouldn't be putting in. Okay. Well, thank you for the grilling tips. And um, now about back to the spoof, um, the semolina flour, what, first of all, what does that add to the, um, the flavoring or the texture? And secondly, I didn't actually know that there are different kinds of semolina flour. You specify that it needs to be soft semolina. Can you speak to that a little bit? Um, so I think the soft semolina flour is just the really um, ground one. And mm. it, it feels like all-purpose flour. Um, it's actually the one that's used to make pasta. So when oh. you can go to any grocery store and um, you will find it there. It's like a, in a bag. Um, and, and it's written like you can make pasta with it. So just grab that. Um, okay. Yes. This is like grounding. Um, mm. There's like medium ground that we use in um, other sweets. And I think there's like a really thicker one. Mm. Um, but in Lebanese sweets, we use the really fine one and the medium size. Okay. I am actually really glad. I Like I said, I just learned something. I didn't know this. I have semolina flour in my pantry, but it is not the very fine. So I'm glad you said this because I would not have made it properly um, if I didn't ask you. Okay, really interesting. And do you uh, um, recommend a particular brand of semolina flour or do you think as long as it's finely ground, they're basically equal? Yeah, I think as long as it's finely ground, it's... Um... It's fine. We use multiple brands and they all work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. This is great. This is really helpful. (laughs) I'm really excited to try this recipe now. Um, So coming on to maybe some of the um, harder parts of the conversation, you have definitely talked about that there were pros and cons to your childhood. You have these amazing memories traveling around Lebanon. You had this grandmother who made it super fun, such an adventurous father. Um, but school was difficult. It was hard to fit in as kind of a, someone with, with an American um, American background, maybe some American sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about why your family left Lebanon, what was going on there, um, what has happened since. Um, you mentioned that you want to make Lebanese sweets to show people the positive side of Lebanon. Um, what is it that you're kind of trying to combat when you do that? 
So um, unfortunately, in 2004, um, the prime minister in Lebanon was assassinated. Mm. And uh, his name was Rafiq al-Hariri. And um, he was... uh, he, he was the person who helped uh, renovate Lebanon after the, the war that my, my father um, immigrated from. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped uh, rebuild Lebanon. He helped rebuild Beirut. He was actually from Saida, um, our hometown. Wow. And um, he really, uh, he had a vision and a dream of making Lebanon um, a really wonderful first world country. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, um, not everyone around Lebanon wanted that. Mm-hmm. So um, in 2004, uh, they assassinated him in a, in a very um, sad way. Um, he was just um, riding in his car um, with his bodyguards. Mm-hmm. And um, in Beirut, um, while I think he was leaving parliament, um, his car blew up. Mm. And uh, I remember um, we were living in Lebanon and uh, we were in, me, my siblings, uh, my mom and my grandma were in a car. Um, I think my mom was shopping in uh, the Saida's souk uh, where you just mm-hmm. get your stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just see people um, closing their shops, running around in the streets, screaming, and uh, I remember uh, my grandmother yelling out of the car and just asking the, the peop- someone running, uh, what happened? And uh, he just yells that Rafiq al-Hariri was killed. And uh, I remember her um, crying and uh, screaming and uh, just an, an uncomfortable um, scene. And uh, my dad, he was coming uh, from Kuwait and the he was like in the plane mm-hmm. and um, he um, he came home and we were home and we were just watching the news on uh, on the television and I remember I, I didn't know who this person was um, mm-hmm. I was um, too young to know him but yeah. I remember my my parents my grandparents everyone was just extremely sad and devastated and uh, I remember them saying that from this point on, um, Lebanon's going to deteriorate. It's gonna, it's going bad. It's going. They wrong. knew that. They knew that. How did they know? I, he he was the person who built Lebanon. Mm. <laughs> so if he's assassinated, it means someone wants to take control. Yeah. Who and, was responsible for his death? Um, they say a lot of um, there's conspiracies about him. They don't know. They either say that it's the Syrian uh, president combined with like um, resistance organizations in Lebanon who didn't want him anymore in office. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he got to a point where he was too powerful that they just um, couldn't do what they wanted to do while he was alive. Mm-hmm. So the easy way was to just move him out of the way. Mm -hmm. So he stood, what ideals did he stand for? And who, what, what ideals did, um, what ideals did the, 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 the people who were responsible for his murder, whoever they were, what did they stand for? 
I think his ideals were just um, from what I know and remember, he mm -hmm. wanted a better Lebanon, a more uh, productive Lebanon. Mm -hmm. um, he wanted to bring back the days where Lebanon was known as uh, the Switzerland of the Middle East and mm -hmm. the Paris of the Middle East. And uh, not in terms of like um, art and culture, but like on the world stage um, mm -hmm. uh, where like we, our economy is good and our currency is good. And uh, he would actually sponsor students to go um, study abroad so they can come mm -hmm. back and uh, work for Lebanon. Um, he really organized a lot of um, companies and uh, he, he really pushed the Lebanese people for education. He wanted mm -hmm. everyone to be educated, to have um, healthcare. Um, He's a really good person to the point that they've named a building here in uh, Boston after him. Wow. Uh, he had a lot of um, good relationships with a lot of, um, you know, political officials around the world um, to the point that a lot of um, politicians came to his uh, funeral. They were just devastated by his loss. Um, the world was devastated by his loss. Um, and he really uh, stood against uh, Israel. He didn't want them to take our land. He really pushed against them. Mm -hmm. um, he wanted a unified Lebanon. He didn't want us to be um, really concerned about our religious differences. Mm -hmm. and, um, that's what caused the war, just looking at our differences. And um, people in Lebanon don't really look that we're all Lebanese and they don't have the same goal. Everyone has their own little ambitions and goals in this little country and they all want a piece of it. Um, so this is the war that followed his death. Yeah, the, so the from his death moving, moving forward, um, there were a lot of assassinations to different politicians who had the same ideas as him mm -hmm. and uh, they would die in a very similar way, um, mm -hmm. just um, bombed in their car. Mm -hmm. And um, the it led to a point in 2000, 2006 um there's an organization group um they're a resistance group in the south of lebanon and um they had um a fight with uh, israel mm -hmm. so they took their soldiers one group took the from soldiers from the other um group and they just went into this uh uh really big war and um, it kind of affected the, the entire country because the, our, the Lebanese military was also dragged into it. Mm. And uh, because we um, hold American citizenship, um, we were evacuated from Lebanon um, by the embassy. Um, and I remember during that time, um, my cousins were visiting from the US mm -hmm. and um, it was just, um, horrifying just to see um, planes and uh, we, we stayed there for two weeks um, during the war until my dad decided that it's too dangerous to wait anymore. They thought it's just going to be, you know, a few days fight, but I remember it, it took like two months. Um, so we evacuated, um, we were evacuated um, back to the US by the embassy. And it took us uh, three days of travel to come here. <laughs> wow. Wow. So who, who is in control in Lebanon now and what are their values? 
Um, now a lot of um, different little groups who have um, their own ambitions and uh, their values are definitely not um, like Rafi al-Hari's values. Um, they, the currency there um, inflated, there's an inflation, there's scarcity of food, um, there's a revolution, there's um, bombing, there's um, a lot of things that you don't wish um, for your country. And uh, a lot of young people have left the, um, the country either to the US or France or um, Dubai just to find a better opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, all the companies that Rafiq Hariri um, kind of built in Lebanon have uh, went bankrupt. Yeah. Um, everyone wants the everyone um, that wants a better future for Lebanon do not want the people in power now yeah. and um, the people in power now they have the money uh, they have the, the weapons they have the property to stay in power um, and they've been in power for years and um, they kind of uh, persuade some people to stay with them um, by paying them by um you know, um, making them satisfied and um, showing them, oh, this is, um, we have the goals, uh, we have to make Lebanon better. And um, unfortunately, it's not in the best place right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you heard the episode with um, Fatima from Hummus, Hummus, and Hummus and Pizza. It's Hummus and Pizza, right? Um, and she said that there are more Lebanese living around the globe than living in Lebanon right yes. now. <laughs> yes. Mm. Do you, um, would you ever want to even move back? Um, so recently during the summer, uh, we went back for a visit and it mm. confirmed my decision to never live there <laughs> at the moment. Mm. Mm. it's just um it's just not the life I would um want or prefer um there not over there there's scarcity of water and electricity so you're not living um a comfortable life like every day you wake up and you think oh I need to fix the electricity and where can I get water and um I need to go and get food and I need to so you're just some um, thinking of ways to survive. You're not thinking of ways to flourish. Right. Um, and here we don't really um, think of that. Like, I'm not really concerned if there's electricity or water in my studio before I go um, to work. I'm sure there's um, electricity or um, power. And all I'm thinking about is, um, is work and how to move forward and how to progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. When you left, did all of those people, your your cousins were visiting from the U.S., so they were already in the U.S. You said your dad and your uncle were already here. How about your mom's parents? Did they come with you? Um, do you have family left there? So when we evacuated in 2006, um, actually, my dad stayed behind um, mm -hmm. for work. And uh, we evacuated um, with my cousins um, during the same time. And we came here and we stayed at my uncle's house um, for the summer and um, for part of the fall. Um, and we went to school here. 
um, for like, I think uh, around two months. And um, I think my mom, she noticed the difference of um, we were just uh, relaxed. My brother, um, he had um, help um, at school. Um, he, he was just kind of uh, receiving it better. Um, and um, there was just kind of like some kind of like aid at school um, to help us transition. And then we went back to Lebanon for a year mm. um, and uh, we lived there um, till like the end of 2007. Mm. Um, it's when my dad, he came back to the, he came to visit in the U.S. and uh, he found a business here and he decided, you know, what, Lebanon is not doing better anymore. Um, his brother convinced him to move back here. Um, and there's a better life and uh, opportunity for his family. Mm. And um, he just called my mom and told her, um, listen, I, I, there's a, a better life in the U.S. And um, I want to live here. If you want to come and live with me, then come. <laughs> and um, we just moved back here um, in the end of 2007 and started a new life. Mm. So let me make sure I understand. You evacuated to the U.S. and your dad stayed in Lebanon. Yeah. Then it's the okay during the war. Then at some point you moved back to Lebanon for a year, but during that time your dad came to the U.S. and found a business, and then yeah. you guys went back to the U.S. and joined him. Yes. I see. I see. I see. And you've you've had no regrets. No. <laughs> well, I, I wish it didn't go that way, but right, right. Of course. You know, it was, right. um, I remember when they told us, oh, we're going back to the U.S. I was very excited because that experience during the summer, I just saw kind of like a, a different life at school, um, kind of like a, a different life um, here in, in general. And mm -hmm. I was really excited for that. I remember when I was um, yeah, very young in Lebanon and we were playing in our garden, I would tell like um, my siblings and our neighborhood friend that when I grow up, I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to move to the U.S. And mm. I, because I, I had an American passport, I felt that eventually I'm just going to go and live there. And um, it... it it just moving back here it showed me um kind of like that opportunity that little dream that I had mm -hmm, and sure. um that I'd be like an artist here mm -hmm. and I, I would I would just um tell the story of Lebanon here um in the U.S. and um I, I just wouldn't go back to Lebanon mm -hmm. right because that dream's not available to you there yeah or to almost anyone really it's it's not yeah. available period. Yeah. Mm, mm. But like you said, there's even the town that you grew, you grew up in um, since you were four years old, that during those years in Lebanon, it's got history that goes back to prehistory. So there's so much, um, there's so many wonderful things to share, um, whether it's through spoof or like you said, as an artist or in any other way, um, but it's not possible right now. Yeah. Mm. Do you anticipate I mean, how would you see that changing? Do you have any hope? Um, 
I see a lot of um, people my age, they want change for Lebanon. They want a better Lebanon. Um, they don't really um, think of politicians as kind of like um, these uh, holy figures that we have to follow. Um, now the internet people um, see that there are new ideas and a new life and um, we should be able to vote for who runs the country. We should be able to vote for a president. Um, we should be able to vote for everyone who's in office. And um, they really want that change. They are fighting for that change. Um, a lot of people um, my age there, they want, they want new ideas. They don't see Lebanese people as this is a Christian Lebanese or this is a Muslim Lebanese or this is a Durzi Lebanese. They see just Lebanon, just Lebanese. And uh, I have hope um, for a better Lebanon. I, I pray for a better Lebanon. Um, and um, because I have a little bit of guilt and I feel like it's, it's not fair that um, these um, very intelligent young people who have a lot of um, energy and ambition in them, they have to be kind of like in this, um, what feels like a box um, mm -hmm. by these like little I, traditional and old ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, your dream of becoming an artist and telling the story of Lebanon, how is that coming? It's coming in the form of uh, food photography and uh, food videos. <laughs> mm. um, so in 2007, I think um, my last year at college, um, I decided that I really want to um, learn how to cook. Mm -hmm. And um, I really wanted to save... Um, I want to focus on Lebanese recipes because I really love the Lebanese cuisine. I love eating uh, Lebanese food. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to practice that. And I wanted to um, create recipes that are out of um, measurements, not just, you know, mm -hmm. uh, how some Arab, um, <laughs> you know, they just throw things in the pot and just. Um, yeah, not just Arab, every single culture I've had on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> Yeah. So I wanted to record it because I, I wanted to share it with others. Um, sure. So I thought it's, um, it's a nice opportunity to, um, to kind of um, learn and also mm -hmm. share at the same time. And uh, because I'm a designer and I went for, to school for design, um, I, I wanted to turn make everything into art and make it um, perfect. So um, during the time after I graduated from college, um, I tried to teach myself uh, food photography and um, how to use Adobe and um, like testing in the kitchen. Um, so, yeah. Mm. So that's what you've done. Yeah, um, I, I went to school um, to study uh, global business management and fashion design mm. uh, in hopes that I'd come out of it um, opening my own um, collection, um, mm -hmm. having like my own collection in modest wear because I also wear uh, the hijab mm -hmm. and I noticed that there's a gap in the industry for modest wear. Um, mm -hmm. Today, there isn't that much of a gap, um, mm -hmm. but I think five, six years ago, there was a very big gap. 
Mm. And um, I really wanted uh, to contribute um, to that and uh, to create something that I would wear myself. Mm. Um, but after graduating, um, COVID hit. Mm. And um, during that time also, uh, we lost my uncle. Mm. And um, I just spent um, that time, it was just a struggle to find a job. Um, it was a struggle to find material um, to do um, my collection. You know, the future felt very um, vague and uh, blurry and there was just no path. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really found um, comfort in baking. Mm-hmm. And I, rem- I think I started during Ramadan mm-hmm. and I would bake at night. And I just started learning how to make dough and how to make cheesecake and sweets. And, you know, in Ramadan, everyone um, <laughs> extra hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like fasting to make you think about food yes. all day long. <laughs> yeah. So I always had someone who would try it and just finish it. Um. So yeah, that, that's how I started. And um, I really wanted um, to record every um, step of that. And I started, um, I had a camera, I just didn't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. So I go on YouTube and eventually I found um, the bite shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I found her videos and then I started her courses. And then slowly I started to learn how to use um, the camera and I learned different lenses. And um, now I'm using that camera to make um, videos. And I, I felt um, that videos really show you the technique because my mm-hmm. small photos where you weren't seeing the technique mm-hmm. and, um, and you can't really, you know, um, Lebanese food, there's just a way of making it. Um, mm-hmm. That's not common to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I found videos, uh, video making to be very interesting. Yes. Is this how you make your living right now? No. Um, so right now I'm really um, focusing on that platform um, and trying to um, really grow um, my Instagram. But also after um, graduating uh, college and taking the um it, I, I it was like two years of just um, testing different art forms, um, mm-hmm. and I was also helping uh, with the family business. Um, mm-hmm. But after that, I decided that you know, um, physical art and design is r- not really um, doing it right now. Let me look at technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to do a certificate in user experience design, uh, UX oh. design. Mm-hmm. And um, that took me a year. Um, so I recently um, finished it and uh, combined with my um, with my college degree and that I'm trying to look for a job. I see. I see. Yes, you're well on your way to combining all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> so like you said, be an ambassador for Lebanon. Um, so yeah, uh, food photography and videos is uh, my passion project at the moment. I really hope that I can make it into an income and make it my job because um whenever i talk to other designers they're like you're really passionate about it i'm like yeah but i hope it can make some income Mm, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah um tell us about your uncle 
Um, my uncle, he's um, my dad's brother. Mm-hmm. I, um, he's the youngest um, of, the, of the four children. Um, he, uh, he lives, he used to live here in Rhode Island um, and he owned um, a convenience store in Delhi, uh, like my dad. Mm-hmm. in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, it's called Ashmore. Um, his name is Ashraf. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he, all his life he had uh, diabetes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I got to a point where he um, was not able to manage it anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, during the late, um, in December 2017, um, he was working at his store and uh, he got on top of the dumpster to break some boxes. And um, th- they say, um, what I've heard is he had a heart attack coming out of the dumpster mm-hmm. and um, he fell on the concrete and uh, broke his skull mm-hmm. and uh, they weren't able to save him. Um, he passed away quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he was a, uh, a very, um, very sweet man, very uh, childlike. He didn't take mm-hmm. things uh, seriously. Mm-hmm. A major sweet tooth. <laughs> <laughs> um, very, very tall. Everyone, um, whenever you'd see him, that's the first thing you'd see that he was very tall. He was six foot six, I think. Wow. Yeah. And um, he, just very funny. He had that baby face. And um, for me, he was like a second father. Um, he really tried to be present in um, everything, um, any event that we had. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I kind of really liked him uh, when we moved back here to the US. He, he really meant um, a lot to me. And um, his death, I didn't take it lightly. Um, I was really... Um, I felt a little depressed after he went and um, it felt like uh, life just didn't have any meaning anymore and um, it didn't have a purpose anymore. And they say that when uh, someone you really love passes away, there is a life before them and a life after them, Mm -hmm. uh, which shows their significance in your life. Mm I am sorry for your loss. Yeah. How did cooking help you in that time? I think um, coupled with my uncle's loss and the struggle of finding a job and um, just uh, COVID and uh, everything that was going on, it it was a lot of things in a short amount of time. Yeah, no Um, kidding. Baking at night was kind of, it gave me that silence. It gave me something um, to make things with my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt um, like th- there's a, there's a purpose. Um, there's like, you know, a little hope moving forward. Um, there was, um, felt like there's art and recognition and learning something new. Um, I feel like when I combine something like learning new things uh, combined with art and design, um, it makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was um, it was kind of meditating for me. I always um, think like when when I'm baking, 
or I'm cooking something, um, everything around me just feels silent and mm-hmm. peaceful. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm happy that you've had that. Yes. And now you've found a way to share it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and my dad um, enjoyed it. <laughs> he would wake up at night. He's like, what are you making? What's that smell? <laughs> How, how late were you baking? <laughs> Very late. <laughs> it was Ramadan and I, I stay up late and um, he's just, I, I'm, he's like, I'm sleeping and there's a smell of za'atar in my nose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, great. Because of Ramadan, uh, we wake up in like the, um, at dawn time to have a, like a, a, a breakfast Mm. or we start the fast so I would make it for that um you know early breakfast so mm-hmm. eventually they were gonna get, get up and eat <laughs> <laughs> did you ever eat spoof for breakfast no <laughs> <laughs> did you ever bake it late at night um I think spoof is like a dessert Mm-hmm. And, um, no, I didn't bake a lot of um, swoof, but I like um, to save that recipe because, you know, I might need it someday. I, I like the idea of swoof because um, I know my mom uses it to whip up, you know, like a quick mm-hmm. dessert. Like mm-hmm. oh, someone's coming or we're, we need to go somewhere. Oh, I'll just make swoof because it's a, it's a very easy vegan uh, cake as well. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. looks nice uh, when you decorate it with um, with like nuts and raisins on top and the colors, you know, attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's complained about us. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think about this, that it's vegan. So what gives it its yeah. lift? Oh, a whole tablespoon of baking powder. Yes. <laughs> That's a lot of lift. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's it looks very cakey. I don't think I've ever had anything cakey with no eggs before. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Now, it sounds like it's a little bit controversial what goes on top. Yes. Yeah, so in Lebanon, um, I think a long time ago, they used to add pine nuts, but, you know, pine nuts are sacred gold right now. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, pine nuts in Lebanon are very expensive. Like um, one, they were plentiful, but now they're not. Is what you're saying? I think before people used to afford it, but now no. one kilo is like uh, seventy five dollars. Wow. Yeah. Um, so nuts in general are just expensive for people now, um, but you can add almonds on top, um, like you know, slice, um, you know, like the half almond. Mm-hmm. And just like put it on top. Um, and my mom, she puts like a little um, a mixture of different like chopped nuts, like pistachio, um, cashews, and raisins, and mm-hmm. it looks very pretty. Do you have a favorite personally? No, I, I really like um, that mixture on top. The way your mom does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Lovely. Can I ask you another question that's a little bit off topic, but if you want to speak to it, you can. And if you don't want to, please feel free to say, no, I don't want to speak to that. But Mm -hmm. you mentioned before, like when you were talking about your degree in design and that you wore the, um, you wear the hijab and, you know, the gap in the market that you saw for modest wear, um, you know, every, all eyes right now are on 
Iran and the choice to wear hijab or not. Do yeah. you want to speak to why um, why you choose to wear it? Why, while I know you also from your posts um, support a woman to choose not to wear it. Yeah. So um, I believe that people really do not understand the purpose of hijab. Mm. They just see it as this piece of cloth that you are wearing just to not attract men. Mm. And that kind of just takes out the, the whole purpose of it. Mm. I really think when people speak, they speak from their, ex their own experience. And mm. um, in, in the, ex the universal experience is that if you cover yourself, you are doing it to um to like deter um the eyes of people mm -hmm. um but for me and what hijab really means in islam is you are representing your faith um mm -hmm. i always tell people you know you know a sheriff or you know a doctor from their costume mm -hmm. so you know a muslim woman from her from what she's wearing from her outfit from her modest outfit mm -hmm. and um for me it's just like that um i decided to wear the hijab at 13 and it was um i didn't feel like it caused me any struggle um growing up in school because in my school i went to public school here in the in Middletown, Rhode Island, and uh, they were used to seeing people yeah. and students from with hijab from the Navy base. Um, um, so I think some teachers thought I was from the Navy base, but I was not. They're like, oh, you're back. I'm like, yes, I told you I live here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, hijab is really um, a representation of what's in your heart. Mm -hmm. um, like, you'd see the, the entire world um, fighting this, uh, this just piece of cloth for them. It's a piece of cloth for you. It's um, really your faith and uh, what's in your heart. And if you go um, against all the struggle and you know um, there's some risk to your life um, while traveling or um or just um, walking on the street, it might be um, someone might cause you um, some kind of danger. Mm -hmm. It means that we take it really seriously. Um, mm -hmm. Like even against the the heat or um, risk or danger or um, maybe not getting a job, we still put it on. And um, it, it, for us, it's not just a, a piece of cloth. Um, it, it's something that um, we really love um, and it's representing our faith and our relationship with God and um, how we view modesty and um, kind of um, just uh, just really um, going in uh, the footsteps of those uh, women uh, before us and what they contributed to the world. Mm. 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 It's very unfortunate that... Um, something like that is happening in Iran. And I think um, women in Iran are not fighting the, the concept of hijab. They are not right. fighting it because it's um, something that's a faith-based. They are fighting the government because uh, the government decided to use hijab as a tool to, um, to just, um, you know, c control this, um, yes. this group of people. Right. Uh, I don't think... 
anyone who is actually fighting the hijabs, fighting um, as a faith base, or they they are understanding what it actually means. Um, I know a lot of people they they fight it because uh, they think modesty is imposed on us and we need to be freed. And if we do not take it off, we are not free. Um, but for most Muslim women, it's not like that. Right. Right. And there's a difference between choosing to wear it. And, you know, I think um, I'm sure you follow. Um, I don't know how to pronounce her account. She's a tremendous food photographer, um, Swarnika and um she's posting a lot on this issue. And uh, she shared like a story last night where a woman was willingly wearing a hijab. Um, This is years ago in Iran, willingly wearing it, like you said, like it was significant to her. She chose to wear it, but she was pregnant. And in the back seat of a car, she loosened it um, because she was pregnant and nauseous. And so she wasn't out there, you know, showing it as a symbol of her faith. She was in her own, she was, she was in a private place loosening it and she was pulled over and she was told to return. She was going to be sentenced to 75 lashes for loosening her hijab. And so I think to your point, it's not the fact that women are revolting against um, a piece of cloth. They're revolting against it being used as a way to control them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very unfortunate that um, they do these things because it's nowhere in our faith. There's nowhere in our faith where um, if you're a little um, hair strand is showing or, you know, the, the hijab is loose, um, that you need to get like lashed. There is nothing in Islam that, um, you know, um, makes you get lash unless it's like, you know, like major, um, you know, like you're causing major danger to other people's lives. Like you, mm-hmm. you're, you're stealing. And even if you're stealing and they need to, you know, like physically hurt you, there has to be a court and there has to be witnesses. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, um, when it's re- regarding Islam, they take the last, um, ruling not really thinking about the process of it to get to that final ruling which is sometimes is very harsh they're like oh look at how harsh islam is but you didn't look at the process to get to that ruling and most likely if you follow you know that that judicial system you can most likely avoid that um you know the harsh ruling um for me islam is a very um merciful religion um there's um opportunity there's um peace in it um Mm. and uh, it's very unfortunate that that people see it this way Mm. but you're not living in a country where the religion has been weaponized to rule no not in lebanon or um or here in the u.s of course Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for answering that question. I know it's something that you've mentioned, and um, I don't know how much of that I'll put in, but um, if you're willing, I would like to share your perspective on it. Yes, of course. Yeah, thank you. So is there anything else that you wanted to share today that we didn't get to talk about? Um, I think we got to talk a lot about a lot of things. Um, And um, yeah. Mm. I really hope you like the swoof. <laughs> I know I will. I'm positive I will. I can't wait to try it. <laughs> Actually, we're going to um, my husband's 
aunts today. We go every other Monday and I actually might try to make it as a dessert for her. I think she would be really pleasantly surprised by that. I think you're, you're just going to use it as my mom where she just, if you have to leave, yeah. house, you need to take something, <laughs> you're just going to make it. <laughs> It's going to be the new brownies. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. Can you tell everybody, um, like you said, you're pursuing so many different things right now, just the um, graphic design, user experience, food, especially videography. How can we follow along as you develop all of this into you know, a unified vision? Um, so I started with an Instagram account. Um, it's called Habibi Was Cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I made up the handle from, uh, you know how here in the U.S. they say, what's cooking good looking? Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to take that um, phrase and make it kind of, you know, Lebanese and mm-hmm. American. So in Lebanon, we use the phrase Habibi a lot, which means my love. Mm-hmm. But we use it in many different things like um for love for sarcasm uh, between friends you know Mm. uh, when you're mad (laughs) so (laughs) I I took that and just made it Habibi what's cooking I Um, love it yeah and and I felt like it just um, combined those two cultures that I really like um, the American culture and uh, the Lebanese culture Mm. Um, recent I have a lot of um, plants um, to like make my platform bigger so recently I opened a YouTube channel and uh, and I uh, made a new website um, from what I've learned in user experience design um, I was able um, to make a better um, more enhanced uh, website Mm -hmm. Uh, so they can also go and find recipes on that um, with measurements (laughs) yeah Exactly. Well, this has been a pleasure, Amal. I appreciate it. I can't wait to keep following along. I do follow along, of course. So I'm (laughs) saying continue to follow along and um, just learn more and more about Lebanese food from you and um, pass along all your meat grilling tips as well. (laughs) I look forward to see how you make um, a picture out of school. (laughs) I'm I'm looking forward to it too. Hopefully information will strike. And um, for anyone listening who's also really into the meat, you have a wonderful recipe for um, shish tawuk on your on your site. So people can find that as well, in addition to the spoof that um, will be right there in the show notes and then on your site as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Amal. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Amal for being on the podcast. Thank you to you for listening. Again, that chicken recipe and of course the spoof recipe are listed there in the show notes as well as lots of ways to get in touch with Amal if you would like to do that. As always, I very much um, not only appreciate but completely depend on your support. So if you would leave a five-star review um, in your app, in your player, if you're not sure how to do that, just scroll down in the show notes and you can do that easily through the link there. I would also appreciate it if you would forward this episode to a friend or family member who would love to listen to it. That's it. Thank you. And I hope you have a great week, my friends.